0: everyone and welcome to minute 19 of season 5 of movie robin it's a daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1990 bruce Willis action film die hard Two die harder one minute at a time i'm rob and joining me once again today is alan sanders of the wilder ride welcome back alan thank you sir good to be back yeah it, it feels like i just spoke to you i don't know it's just very weird
1: it feels like with the kind of relationship we have, even if we're not recording, it's like we're still in touch with one another. Yes, yes.
0: Isn't, isn't texting great?
1: <laughs> oh, we do full-on voice messages yes. and pictures. You sent me memes. I mean, That's right. it's like we're friends from afar.
0: That's right. <laughs> friends who've never met each other in person.
1: Nope. Yeah, but just across the digital, it, it, just across the internet.
0: Yes, that's true. I mean, I have I have a lot of friends that that I've recorded with and stuff like that that, that I consider friends. You know that I that I've never met before. So you know, it's it's one of the fun things about uh, about doing this. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, hundred uh, uh, percent. I say a lot on the radio. Uh, I don't blame social media for all the ills of society. It certainly can contribute if you don't have anything else to keep it in check. But to me. The internet, the technology we have, whether it's Skyping, FaceTiming, texting, whatever, it's a tool. And then you can either build a house with a tool or you can bludgeon someone to death with the tool. It's not the tool's fault. It's how you use it.
0: Yeah, that actually fits in with, with, with this minute somehow. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but we we start off, okay, minute 19 begins with someone zipping up a body bag, which obviously makes me think, get him a body bag. You know, the, the karate kid. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get my buddy back, Johnny, you know, so, and, uh, it ends with, uh, Miller making excuses for himself. So yesterday we, we ended things. I mean, we had, we had a nice long conversation about, uh, uh, you know, about restraining orders, <laughs> about the differences between, mm-hmm. be, between measurements around the world and things like that. And, you know, Thornburg. And then we, we had two seconds of a bloody, faced the Cochrane, which you know we, we we picked that one apart too and today just continues with that as the coroner or we presume it's the coroner uh is zipping up the the bag over his face so we don't have to look at that uh bloody red pulp uh anymore and you know it's it, i again I, you know we, we mentioned this a little bit yesterday the the fact that you know when you're watching this movie normally you just see them basically zipping it up you don't see the body um and you you don't think too much about it but the fact that we are watching this you know very minutely it it looks so different when you're when you when you actually see the the way the body looks you know uh forgetting about whether that's plausible or not or whatever it is but the fact is is that you know when they were making this movie they said that for at least for them in this uh die hard two world you know the way that he looked was plausible you know even if in our reality it it might not but it's just really cool that that normally when you're watching a movie you just gloss over those little things because they're they're happening so quickly. I mean, it reminds me. I remember. I think it was in high school. They they would tell us about the whole idea of subliminal messages. You know how uh, in the '70s, you know, before subliminal messages started getting banned, you know, they used to put in like a few frames in movies with uh, popcorn or like a coke and stuff like that. And, and people would their their minds would see these things and they would be like, "Hmm, I'm thirsty," or "I want to go get some popcorn." Or, I mean, the, the famous one was, is there was a, a poster of Farrah Fawcett, you know, around the Charlie's Angels time, where they somehow subliminally wrote in her hair, you know, the word sex all over it. And, you know, it it obviously uh, made people want to buy the poster or made probably young men want to go buy the poster to, to be a little more uh, exact yeah. about that. But, you know, so so this is a way to show us something you know, that our minds will will, will see and it will just quickly register and move on, you know, anything like that. But when you're, when you're looking at it the way we are, that's completely different ballgame.
1: And I wonder if maybe that's why they overdid so much of the red paint slash blood that we talked about yesterday, because you get such a brief glimpse, your mind fills in a bloody mess. You just assume a mashed up pulp.
0: Right. But when you freeze frame it, it looks kind of fake. Right. Okay, I mean that, that's fair. That, that's fair that they would do that. Um and then uh we we get a the, the 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 camera pans up a little bit and we see John just looking on. Uh you know look, looking at his uh handiwork, needlepoint as uh you know he states later on in, in the movie. And and then uh, the 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 cop, you know, uh, I think his, I think his name is Carlson, comes over to him and goes, "Sorry Officer McLean, I had to check Here's your peace and shield back. And he says thanks. The fact is is it's it, it's nice that he's a, that the cop is apologizing. You know that that he realizes the mistake he made. I mean again it was needed for the plot in order for Miller to get away. You know you you always have to have that one guy that you let get away in order to go you know mm-hmm. tell tell the big boss you know that there's there's someone causing problems here. You know that type of thing. Uh so they they found a way to do that and you know at least the You know, the Carlson is, is, is apologizing for this type of thing. And, and he says to, to John, here's your piece. Okay. Now, do you colloquially, do you know what a piece refers to? I mean, not just what they're talking about here in general, there's a whole bunch of different, I I looked it up and I was shocked. There's so many things that, that the word peace could mean P I E C E. Well, okay. Well,
1: first. The way we're using it here, your piece in a cop is going to be right. your gun. Correct. But yes, you're right. There's piece can mean a
0: lot of things depending on the context. That is correct. That is correct. Um, what other what other things do you think it could mean, depending on the context? I mean, when you're in high
1: school, you're in high school. You're hoping you might get a piece. Okay. Right. That's one. What else? Obviously, when you're talking about something is easy, it's like uh, either a slice of cake or a Piece. Okay. Peace when uh, you know you're going to give somebody a piece of your okay. mind. Uh, you're going to share with them something. You're going gonna, to, you know, crawl them over the carpet if you know. Mm-hmm. You're going to, it's never good when somebody says, let me give you a piece of my mind. It's not because you did something good. Right. It's usually you're about to get dressed out. Uh, let's see. What else? Peace. Uh, I'm sure you've got several others. So I will, instead of uh, spending this next time babbling, I will turn it back to you.
0: Okay. So, so a piece can mean any type of weapon, not just the gun. It could also mean a knife. Or something like that. Um, it can actually be referring to um, drug paraphernalia, uh, most commonly really? uh, mar- marijuana, and and uh, a lot of times a pipe. You know, a, a, a pipe that you would smoke uh, drugs out of. That's also known as a piece. I, I didn't know that.
1: Never heard of that before.
0: <laughs> Me neither. You know, a graffiti mural is also known as a piece. Maybe like a piece of art. Maybe that's the the idea here. A piece could also mean mm-hmm. a place, somewhere, you know, that 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 you, you know, your home or things like that. I I don't th- I don't think I've ever heard that in context. It's interesting that that's what it is. Uh, it also could mean a piece of crap. You know, it's the short it's the, the shorthand <laughs> version of it. Could in some ways be very generic, and it could be talking about anything. You know, what, what you were saying before about a piece of pie or a piece of cake and things like that. You know, it's like one of something. You know, that that's the, the way that it looks like. I mean, it has a few examples here. It says, dude, look at that car. What a piece. I mean, I don't I don't, I can't imagine someone actually saying that.
1: I've heard that. I've heard that if you say that shortened, you know, the other two words, but you can say, what a piece. And everybody fills in OS, you know, what a POS.
0: You're right. It could be that they're talking about that. You know, then as one here it says, nice piece. Let's smoke. <laughs> this piece shoots nice, only costs 50 bucks. The the one that you <laughs> mentioned, uh, I want to get a piece of her, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, obviously it's, it, it made me wonder and I wasn't able to, to, to look it up, like where the idea comes from that you call a gun a piece, you know, like where...
1: that's a really good question. Cause we just know it from cop vernacular cop shows. We think it's just because it's something we just know. That's interesting. I don't know the etymology of that term as it relates to law right. enforcement.
0: Yeah, I was I was I mean I was thinking about no, that.
1: No, I'm assuming you're gonna enlighten us. Um
0: yeah. <laughs> of course I'm going to. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Wait, come on, what did you think? Did you think that I was I, I, was, I was taking you down this alley for a different reason.
1: I don't know. I, I wonder sometimes if I say things and it makes you think aloud and then you go, oh, crap, I didn't look that up.
0: Me? I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> right. So the, the term of using a piece when referring to a firearm is about 500 years old, something like that, a little less, 450, uh, where it, was, it, it meant some sort of portable firearm. Okay, in in the 1800s, there was even a you know it was used in literature. It said he knelt on one knee and leveled his piece direct at William's head. Okay, now we mostly refer to the fact of a gun these days, but it was something that that was used a long time ago. It was used for for uh you know people would use it for their bow and arrows and crossbows and things like that. Pikes, axes, you know those, those were it was the general term that they used. For it, like to, you know, I, I, I guess, I guess it comes down to just instead of having to explain what type of weapon you have, he says, "I'm gonna chop your head off with this piece." I don't know. <laughs>
1: that doesn't seem to flow as naturally. Yeah, uh, probably not. Well, now, it, of, doesn't,
0: it, now it doesn't. Now it doesn't, but maybe 500 years ago it did because they didn't know about, uh, you know, uh, they, they they didn't know that you could have a, an actual gun doing that.
1: Oi! I'll run you through
0: with more meat. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, that that that's all I was able to actually find out about it. You know, it wasn't that it's something that uh, you know that that it, it doesn't really explain it very well. Let's put it that way. What I found, he takes his badge first and puts it back on his pants, and then his gun. You know, nicely enough, you know, he was given back his gun and his magazine separately, and you can see that his magazine is actually full, or it's got bullets in it. And you'd think that he had shot off all his bullets already. You know, that's one of the things they like to do in movies. You know, either, you, you rarely will have a full gun. You know, you have a full gun at the beginning. And then once you start shooting, you have, you know, an endless number of bullets. And then once, once you're done and, you know, so they need, the plot needs for you to, to stop shooting, then you run out of bullets. You know, it doesn't matter how many you have. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you've, you've uh, shot firearms in, in your life. Just like I have. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Wait, for,
0: for, first, <laughs> there are a lot of people who will say that they don't even though you know
1: but i know um living um uh, having been in the military as a background and um where i live where the uh in a more of a rural kind of atmosphere it's sort of a you just you have them you shoot them you practice with them yeah. you know home defense Yeah, exactly so, yeah, and, and it's rare that you're
0: going firearm. to you know uh, use up all uh, fourteen or fifteen of your bullets if if you're in a situation where you might need a few afterwards. I mean, if you're in a shooting range, you're just going to shoot them all off, obviously. But you know, if if you've you've ever you know mm-hmm. if you've ever been in a situation where you need to really use it, you're not going to just you know you're, you're not going to let your finger just just uh, constantly push you know push push the trigger until you have nothing left. You know that's very rare. But in movies, they do that all the time. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: Well, in fairness to the scene, because this is a semi-automatic, we don't know that he emptied, or do we? Did you count
0: earlier? Did he
1: empty his clip? No, we don't, because it
0: because it gets he uh, he drops it
1: right. So you could have had just one shot left, and you would still see the bullet at the top of the clip. Yes, for sure, the magazine. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it doesn't mean it's completely full. It just means we see at least one.
0: Right? No, no. I didn't say it was full. I said that it, that they, he has. Uh, you know, he still has bullets in the magazine. Correct. You know, I mean, we'll see see later in this movie. You know, there are scenes where he's just, you know, every single time he shoots, you know, he empties out the entire clip, even though he's shot like 50 bullets. Mm. You know, then he empties out the clip, and then he's got to put a new clip in. You know, you mentioned this. The the magic bullet theory of movies.
1: You know, you have mentioned this, and it is something that's a staple of action movies. So I really do appreciate when I see movies where they take time to reload. They take time to find cover, to drop a magazine, you know, pull out a new one from their belt and load it up, or well, they start talking about Go, "last one," you know, and at least there's a cognizant effort for some sense of reality that these aren't infinite fire weapons.
0: No, I I, I agree, but it, it goes back to the whole idea that, you know, what what you're dealing with here is, um, you know, that, that even if they have to reload, they're not reloading at the point where you would normally expect someone to reload. That's what I'm saying. You know, you and I who've shot real guns know that you have a limit, a limited number of bullets in there, okay? Mm-hmm. If, it's, if it's a machine gun, maybe you have 30 bullets. If it's a pistol, you usually have uh, 15, 17 bullets, depending on how many it is, okay? And, and then you have to reload after that. In movies, they, they shoot more than that before they have to reload. Yes, they, it, there is some uh, reality that they have to change clips. Mm-hmm. But think about it this way also. How many clips does John have with him? You know, he's going to the airport to pick up his wife. <laughs> he's not well, taking 16 clips with him just in case there happens to be, you know, terrorists in the airport.
1: Now, I will tell you, most of the officers I know, and I am friends with many, many police officers, even if they're undercover, if they're off duty, they will have a fully loaded magazine. Then they will have two, usually in a belt. So they'll have three
0: that they can get okay. to at any point in time. Okay, that's fair. Three. Three. John has much more than three on it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we never, we never have that boring scene where he goes, okay, hold, hold, hold on, I got to get my box of bullets out of the locker and repush them into each of these <laughs> to then restock my my supply. We never have that reloading scene. Not, not the stopping of the bullets in the in the in the magazine.
0: Correct. Exactly. That that's my point here. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, that would kind of okay. slow the movie down. We never, we don't
1: generally see actors, you know, stop to use the bathroom or. Take a nap. Right. But I know what you mean. Right. I, I guess my comment was, I appreciate movies that try to give us the sense that they're aware that they have a limited supply. And I like when they try to do that, because there are some silly movies, from the 80s especially, where who, who nobody knows bullet counts. Nobody was paying attention. You know, They just fire nonstop. They're, they're like the, the, the blasters in Star Wars. You just keep pulling the trigger.
0: Okay, but that that's a little bit more... Uh, plausible, you know, less than Star Wars, because you don't know if they're if it's something that's limited, you know, it's not as if you have a cartridge or a charge that, that, you know, you're going to say, all oh, right, I'm out, I'm out. It's something that, that at least from what I know of the Star Wars, uh, you know, universe, and, and maybe Peter Alex would know this a little better, you know, in general, you know, you can constantly be shooting because it's constantly creating these laser charges. You know, I, I don't think I've ever seen in any of the Star Wars movies where they had to say, OK, I need to put in a new battery. You know, that No, of... they don't.
1: But the funny thing is, when you look at the gun designs, if you have any of the Star Wars visual catalogs or if you read about them, they all have clips in that they actually shoot energy bolts that they actually have to be restocked. But they never, ever in the movies show you doing it. But the guns are there designed to have a clip. OK, in fact. Uh, Chewbacca's bandolier strap is to help reload his crossbow. I'm like,
0: <laughs> which which oh, we also never work. see him do. We've right. never seen him do that. <laughs> right. So I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, we we got a little off of, off off a of tangent here, but that that's okay. You, it's always fun. You, you took Why a. You I, I, you say me you too Alan we're we're both we're both very good at that. Okay.
1: Well, you did take us down the handgun route, and I do enjoy that. I I enjoy a good firearms discussion from time yes.
0: to time. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It makes sense, you know. And then uh, you know the, the the scene continues, and we we see the a, a door opening up, and uh, because we've been there, we know this is the door that John went into in order to get into the baggage area, and then we have the uh, you know the homeless guy come out. Uh, I told you the story about who he is, mm-hmm. or well, he wasn't, I know or, was from an earlier or was it last you- week?
1: Yeah, you mentioned it as we went through, but it wasn't in my weeks. I just oh, right. remembered. I honestly, I remembered in trivia. So when you mentioned it, I'm like, okay, that must have been something you talked about last week. But I did remember reading IMDb or something about this guy being used for this scene.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. So he, he comes out. He, he, he has too many flashes uh, from all the, 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 the cameras and he, like, uh, averts his eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, John looks out and he sees also all the, the flashes going by. Here, we hear the sound of, of Samantha Coleman. Uh, and she goes, hey, over here, officer, we understand there was a shooting. And then we hear the someone say the presence of the Justice Department officials. And then John goes, Jesus, oh, Christ. And then we hear Samantha say once again, hey, come on, just a word, okay? And, you know, John, John gets a little upset and goes, what the f***? Are you people? What are you doing here? This is a crime scene. You got to seal this area off for Christ's sakes. You know he goes over to to, to the to the cop again and says this type of stuff. And I like the fact that we get a a an early view of Sam Coleman seeing John McClane. You know this is something I never noticed beforehand. That you know that that she is pr- prominent in this particular scene and she sees John, even mm-hmm. though they're only gonna they're only gonna officially meet. Uh, in, a, in I think next, next week, if I remember correctly.
1: And I'm sure what yeah. helps. And she sells it. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's something that if you don't slow it down, it, you may have missed it even if you watched it 100 times. But because John McClane is dressed so differently to all the other officers, she, he's obviously not a cop, like a normal cop that works at the airport. But he must be involved in this. And she, in her curiosity as a reporter, she's, she kind of ducks her head around the people passing, and you get just that glimpse of her, like, who's this guy? What What's he doing talking to the police? And I love that. Correct. As you mentioned, it's just that little glimpse that shows that roving kind of curious reporter. We'll just use the word curious here.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it works. I mean, again, I, I, know, I always noticed that there were reporters around, but I never took a look to see which reporters and to notice that Sam Coleman is there and that her cameraman is there. You know, people that we see later on. You know, with the- uh, Did you notice kind
1: of that- and the way they stage it is she almost hesitates just long enough to kind of allow herself to accidentally be now next to John as they're walking out, almost like you can imagine she wants to ask a question.
0: Yes, correct. And and there's a, we get like a fraction of a second where she's just – she's staring at John at like second 23 or 24. You, know, you can see that she's just staring at him. As he's mm-hmm. talking to, 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 to the cop and, you know, where he's saying this is a crime scene. You got to steal this area off. You know, so, so that works also. And you see a of people just, uh, you know, standing around. It's, it's definitely uh, people rubbernecking here. No question about mm-hmm. that. You know, there's, there's something going on in the airport. Let's find out what it is. Ooh, the coroner's here. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know? Now, I got a question <laughs> for you because we made a point of talking about time and how did you not notice. We talked about on the plane. How did you not notice? that uh, Thornburg is on the very same plane, had to have been on the plane, had to have seen him if he got on the plane at the same time. Mm -hmm. How did John McClane not notice and not hear the gaggle of reporters? Because he only pretends like they just are aware that they all of a sudden just showed up the minute the door opens. You know that you would have had people taking pictures of the outside of the doors the whole time, just getting ready to get a shot. You know that they were making noise. It's amazing how all of a sudden it's like, the reporters, bing, are just there.
0: Right. You know, that, that's just, uh, you know, everyone's heard. They heard the rumors. You know, there's <laughs> there's a dead body around here.
1: And it's a great line. But when you think about it, if John McClain is truly worried about the crime scene, he would have noticed and heard. What what are these reporters doing, starting to gather? You need to push this back. You you would have thought he would have advised to control the crime scene
0: before leaving. Right. That's but, true. But, again, but, but who would he have said that to? You know, because, he's, again, he's. Yeah, but, but who's he and who are they? You know, that type of thing.
1: Right. You know, I'm, I'm he's he's not like, going
0: to give them orders. They just found out right now that they're just believing, they're, they're believing him that he's a cop.
1: True, true. It took him that long to find his wallet. I, I still I think – Because it was because on his way to movie, Cleveland. Yeah. I still think <laughs> the, the John McClain had this been real, even if without his badge, he would have been arguing at least – you, know, you, you guys should know better. But because it's a movie in real time, real speed – it doesn't bother us and it shouldn't bother us. If we're that focused on the fact that why did you not make a comment to reporters earlier? uh, Then we're missing that this movie is just clipping along and keeping our engagement. So uh, I'm not pointing it out as a problem. I just think it's an interesting thing that time-wise he would have had plenty of time for those reporters who had gathered from afar to show up there to be saying, what are you guys doing, letting them gather here? But it does work at the speed at which the movie's played.
0: Correct. Yeah. And then, you know, we see we see John start uh, you know, then you know, after he talks about the crime scene, so the the answer that he gets is, well, that's up to the captain. He goes, Oh, it's up to the captain. Maybe you better take me up to the captain then, huh?
1: <laughs> love it. Love the sarcasm, love the snark. I will be honest with you, I said this to you before we even went live. Of all of the characters of all the movies, if I had to pick the person who's got the same kind of snark or sarcasm that generally bends people the wrong way i usually leave people with a bit of a Ugh. John McClane I have I have an identical sense of that sarcastic humor and my wife is like could you just just not say anything and like I can't help it I cannot help it especially when when a stupid situation presents itself I have to comment
0: okay that it makes sense that's you know that's Ellen Sanders for you uh, that's me <laughs> let me give you a story yesterday here's
1: an example i went to one of these um uh, supply companies tractor supply we were picking up some things for our garden in our backyard and one of the things i had to get was some cattle fencing a piece of 16 foot by four foot which we have to bend to fit in the back of the truck and the lady said okay the last thing we need to get for you is your cattle fencing i'm like okay cool she goes, just wait here and i was sitting in my truck and i was sitting and i was sitting and i was sitting like 15 minutes goes by i finally go inside i'm like uh were you guys going to bring me she goes, oh, they didn't get it to you? I'm like, no. And so she looks at this kid who had been helping load the other stuff 15 minutes before, and he goes, oh, well, you never showed up. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? I never showed up. My truck's not moved. You loaded all of the other stuff. He goes, oh, well, you needed to drive up and around to this other part where the, where the fencing is. So I'm tell like, me that. Let me get... <laughs> I was like, I'm like Ex- exactly. I said, well, here's a tip for you. If you don't tell the customer that, it's impossible for me to know it. And he goes. Oh, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, and it was like, I couldn't help it. I, my, my my sarcasm, I'm like, well, if you don't say it, it's impossible for me to know it.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, you know, that's the idea that the, the customer is always right, <laughs> especially yeah, when they, sure especially when they tell you that, that, that they're an idiot, you know, that type of thing.
1: I, I'm sure I was well talked about when I left.
0: <laughs> like, oh, that guy. <laughs>
1: Man, that guy was a jerk. He said he said I was supposed to tell him like, like he didn't know. I mean, come on.
0: <laughs> he should have known that for himself.
1: Yeah. Anyway, I'm looking forward to being back there to pick up some more stuff that uh, they didn't have in stock, and then I'm waiting for it to
0: get delivered. That'll be fun. Okay, but what's good is is that you you've actually learned now that when when you go there, you need to mm-hmm. to you know you need to explain it to them like they're a first grader. Right. Yeah. Like I'm talking to Thornburg. There you go. There you go. Makes sense. Now, uh, right as, as this scene is ending, it's great because you see John and the cop move away, and like John is basically pulling the cop with him. And if you look to, to, the, to the side, you see um, like three teenagers and an old man just standing there on the side, on the, the right hand side of the screen. And they all look like they're just staring at Bruce Willis. Now, are they staring at Bruce Willis? Are they staring at John McClane? Or are they just in shock that a that a body just went by? You know, it could be any of the three. Uh, my guess would be that they're looking and they're like, hey, that's the guy from Die Hard. <laughs>
1: okay. I've never forced myself to look at the edge of the screen, that far right side. You could not have a more staged, fake, all in synchronous head turn. It's almost like, you could add a cartoon sound effect of Roo! as he walks by. It's the most overly done head turn. At real speed, it's ridiculous looking. Correct. And I've, never, yes. I've never noticed it before. <laughs> it's like the director said, as they pass, make sure you keep eye contact. And they, oh, okay, we'll do such a good job. We're right here. We're up in the front. We were probably extras all day long waiting for during these crowd scenes. And this is our chance. We were pulled up front. We're going to get camera time. <laughs>
0: And then you get Rennie Harlan saying, okay, three, two, one, turn your heads. <laughs> Everyone turn your heads. Well, you see, nowadays, uh, if, you know, movies that that are using uh, CGI and special effects and stuff like that, they're, you know, they're going to be directing people in front of a green screen and say, okay, now turn your heads. But here, there's actually something there, and they do that. <laughs> yep. So, I don't know. It's just that, Yeah. Not-
1: Nice, yeah. funny detail to point out. I like it.
0: Yes, I, I like it too. <laughs> and and as the the crowd moves away, we see a sign in the background for Budget Budget Rent a Car. Okay, so do, do you when what year do you think Budget Rent a Car was uh, was created? Was founded? I'll go with the 60s, somewhere in the 1960s. Ninth, very close. 1958. Oh, okay. Okay, I I I give you credit for that. You know we we do we do have a, a little bit of a. Uh, uh you know <laughs> there's a it, it, it's i'm grading on a curve okay, good, good. so it's okay
1: <laughs> i just need to, it's, it's, it's a grenade i just need to get close to the target
0: that's right correct that makes sense and so it was it was uh, opened by a man named uh, morris mirkin in la in 1958 and he started with just having 10 cars and the the reason that they named the, the company budget was because they wanted to undercut all of the other uh, rates of the other car rental companies, uh, you know, by charging less daily and charging less per mile and stuff like that. And then he was joined by by a man named uh, Julius Letterer a year later, and the, the two of them started building up the, the company. And, you know, they start out with 10 cars. How many... Uh, cars do you think they they have I'm uh, sorry how many locations do you think they have the number of cars is there's no way of, right of now, really knowing that because
1: I mean just about every airport probably has a so I mean I don't know how many airports are over
0: 600 there's probably more than 600 airports there's only 600 airports in the US I would think that there's even more than that well, um,
1: well there's 50 states that'd be more than 10 airports per state
0: Okay. That's possible. I mean, again, it talks here about the, the locations. It doesn't say the right. are in each state stuff airports, like that are each
1: more So uh, yeah, it's got to be well over. Okay. I'll, I'll pick a number. I'm going to say close to a thousand.
0: Okay. There are 4,000 <laughs> locations all right, around the world with uh, about 2,000 in, in, uh, in the Americas and another 2,000 internationally all around the world. So yeah, that, uh, you know, it's now known as the budget group. They were bought up by Avis. So it's like known as the Avis budget group and whatever. Hmm. I just thought that was a nice little tidbit to, to, to pop in here. And then the, the scene changes, we get to see the uh, fake snowy uh, church once again. You know, that, uh, just a reminder once again, there was no real snow uh, throughout this entire shoot. <laughs> so, you know, we, we get, we get flake, uh, fake flurries on the screen when they show us once again, the, uh, the, the, the church and uh then we we see one of the guys standing there you know by the door it's baker and baker then looks at his watch i guess he's like really bored uh you know doing this at at this hour again we don't know exactly what time it is my assumption is that this is probably still only around six o'clock or something like that we're not we're not talking about being in the middle of the night i mean the the airport is Mm jam-packed so you know it can't be it can't be that late and it in december so you know, it already gets, it gets dark pretty early.
1: Right. Now I thought they filmed, I know it's all fake because of the time of year they filmed, but didn't they, wasn't this a real church in Colorado? Didn't they film at a real location or is this not in Colorado? I thought they filmed in Colorado.
0: No, they filmed, they filmed a lot of the, the airport scenes in Denver.
1: That would be in Colorado.
0: Yes, it would be. That's what I'm saying. That, but but <laughs> we're talking, we were talking about the airport scenes. We weren't talking about the church. No, I, mean, I don't remember where the church scenes were were done. Yes. I'm aware that you said the church scenes.
1: No, I said, and they they I said the airport this scene.
0: movie.
1: Was, isn't this a real church in Colorado? I thought they filmed at a real church. That this was all filmed in Colorado, and you go, no, it was filmed in Denver.
0: No, the airport scenes were filmed in Denver. That's what I was saying. Sorry. <laughs> you know, you could. <laughs> part of this movie, part of this movie was filmed in LAX. Part of it was filmed in uh, in Denver. Part of it was filmed in the UP. Of uh, Michigan, and uh, you didn't know that.
1: I did not know that. I
0: didn't tell you that story. No. I remember this must have been in like January or February of 1990. I remember that that a friend of mine and myself saw in the newspaper in the it must have been in the Free Press, the Detroit Free Press, or in the Detroit News that they were looking for extras. For the sequel to Die Hard that they were filming, you know, uh, later that week, they were going to be filming all night, you know, they were looking for extras to, to to come and be there. And I don't even remember if they said they were going to pay people, you know, to be there or not. And my friend and I said, Oh, we're gonna go, this is gonna be great, we're gonna go and we'll we'll be in the second Die Hard movie, you know, and, and I don't remember what happened, but it just didn't work out in the end for us to go. Hmm. And, you know that i i I probably have said this before. This is one of my big regrets in life that I didn't do it. you know if I had a it's not the top priority, but if I had a time machine right now because of what I'm talking about, I would go back to my sixteen year old self and say, "Get up off your ass get, and get go to there. the upper peninsula yeah <laughs> go be there, wow, okay. You will not regret having that as part of your memories mm-hmm. you know um I didn't do it because, but, because uh, one
1: day you're going to be looking at these movies a minute at a time, and you will have had the experience of what it's like to be on an actual
0: big budget movie set. No, I will say that I'll have the experience of actually being in the movie that I'm doing movie by <laughs> doing minute by minute. Movie. That's the difference. That's right. I'll be like I'll be like, hey, there's me over there. You know, I'm I'm the guy dressed up as the fireman, you know, <laughs> or whatever it is. Because those those were the scenes. From what I understand, those were the scenes that they filmed. You know, when the planes landed at landed the end of the movie.
1: Makes sense. So they have a big wide area where they didn't have a lot of people bothering them up in the. There's not a lot.
0: And, not a lot and, in the up uh, in the upper peninsula. That's right. That's right. And and there really is. And there was no snow then either. So they had to they had to fake that also. So you know. So yes, back to Baker. Baker, you know, is is uh, checking his watch. And then we we see Miller come in into the uh, courtyard, and then we see two guys with pickaxes, uh, you know, breaking down into the snow. Did you recognize either of those two guys that are uh, using pickaxes there?
1: Uh, I can't zoom in far enough, but I'll say no. No, it didn't stand out okay. when I reviewed it ahead of time.
0: Okay. So, uh, so Miller obviously is the guy walking towards towards the uh uh mm-hmm. you know towards Baker. Miller is played by uh, Vandy Curtis Hall, and the guy on the right, on our right-hand side, you know, on their left-hand side, but on our right-hand side, or the right-hand side, the middle guy between them is uh, John mm-hmm. Leguizamo.
1: <laughs> awesome.
0: Yes. I mean, later on in the movie, he has the... I
1: recognize it. The minute you say that, I recognize it. I can see his
0: face. Yes. He has, like, one line in the movie in, a, in like, a few weeks, <laughs> and that's it. You know, we get to see him every so often as, as one of the goons, mm-hmm. but uh, nothing beyond that. He
1: would be what is known as a full-time extra or a featured extra. A lot of times when they've got a group of people that have to always be around a main bad guy, but they don't really have lines per se, but they're going to be doing things that are going to be featured on camera. They get paid usually a little bit more, but from a film perspective, if you get pulled in to be a featured extra, it's probably because they want to have you used multiple times because you're going to be established as sort of, like you said, a goon or a member of the crew or somebody that would be seen in multiple takes, maybe even across the entire film. I had a chance to be a featured extra in the movie Andersonville, the Civil War drama, mm-hmm. and spent 90 days filming where I had to show up six days a week on the set because I was a recurring prisoner. And so it, they needed the same faces to show, look, these same people are here day after day after day. So
0: it was a lot of fun. Are you, are you on screen if you, if, you, if you watch it?
1: Yes, I know. I can find myself. I will tell you, it was the most boring thing to sit through watching the film version come up because I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that day took all those takes. Oh, I remember the actor couldn't hit his mark. Couldn't say. It, was, it was actually boring. And now I get why actors will sometimes say, I hate to go see the final movie with me in it. I was already there. I did my performance. I'm already on to my next project. I get it. Yeah, but
0: you think that you'd want it, to still see yeah, how things were it, all I'm put this. together.
1: Maybe, but maybe because this was more of a, of a Civil War piece There wasn't any visual effects there weren't any you know green screens like okay i wonder what that monster is eventually going to look like or how they're going to paint in all of gotham uh it was a real set everything was practical they built an actual civil war internment camp they actually had tents they actually had hundreds some days they had thousands of extras depending on the shoots the shots they had to have for that day wow
0: interesting okay that's very i will
1: tell you it was neat when you have everybody in costume and you've got all these little ragged little tents, and you've got the, the the rough-hewn logs of creating the walls of the prison, you can you can convince yourself, like, this is what it was going to be like. It was a practical set. It was practical clothing. Everything was 100% real because, you know, it was pre-digital effects or it was right at the cusp of. So um, it was a lot
0: of fun. Very cool. Very cool. I, I should probably go and find that one of these days and, you know, watch it and see if I can find Alan Sanders, Yeah. Like who? He's, he's the I guy. He's the guy dozing off over what, there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> let me let me give you this. And for the audience that may have seen it, if you want to, and you may even be able to find it on YouTube, when the main group of um, Union soldiers that are being that have been captured are being brought into this internment camp, this this uh, Confederate camp for Union soldiers, there's a scene where you hear the commandant yell, "Open the gate!" and there's two guys that move forward to go open the gate. And then start shoving the pri- start hitting my mic. and then start shoving the prisoners in and start calling them all these names like come on you rib you come on you come on I'm on the side the right side of the screen and just as I'm turning around they go to a different cut so you never see my face and then when you see me from behind shoving them they dubbed somebody else's voice so they didn't have to pay me for my dialogue oh that's annoying yeah I didn't know that I was like oh I'm going to be in the film. I am, but you don't see it's me because of the way they cut it. And if it wasn't for me knowing, it's not my voice. You would never know. You, you, you can't tell because they, they dubbed somebody else
0: in. Oh, wow. Is it? This is the version from, from I, 1996? Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, this was shot in Georgia. Okay,
0: no, because the, the version from, the, 19, from 1970, you know, the one that won the Emmy had, uh, you know, William Shatner and a uh, whole bunch of other famous people. But I don't think you were in the one from no,
1: 1970.
0: No I, I w- no, I was just born. <laughs> I'm aware of that.
1: But uh, I, w- I will tell you the, my, my claim to fame is uh, – I say claim to fame. My, my story I love to tell is one of the guys that was in it was Bill Sanderson, the guy that was in Blade Runner, the guy that was in uh, the uh, Bob Newhart show. He was Larry, and he's like, hi, I'm Larry. Oh, wow. my brother Daryl, my other brother okay. Daryl." One night we were doing a stunt shooting, and I was on the stunt team because I was young, and I was like, hey, I can play fight and all this stuff. It would be kind of cool. Bill Sanderson missed his mark and literally hit me full on, land, like we went down, he landed on top of me. I'm holding him as we fall to the ground. He's on me. Bud Davis, who had just got done doing all the stunt work for Star Trek Generations, the first Star Trek Generation movie, mm-hmm. he comes over and goes, he goes, Bill, you okay? You okay? He's like, yeah, fine, but what about, what about the? He goes, oh, don't worry about him. He's a stunt guy. We don't worry about them. We worry about you. You're the actor. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thanks, thanks. At least I cushioned your fall. <laughs> but he was really cool about it. Great guy to work with. Lots of
0: fun. Oh wow, very cool. So yeah, so Miller M- Miller then uh, walks up the the steps, and uh, you know as he's walking by, uh, Baker Baker claps him on the back, and he he says, "Hey, where's where's uh, where's Cochran? He goes, "He didn't make it." And then Baker goes, "Oh man, oh man." Just uh, he he does that really well. The oh man. <laughs> like you know hello you guys didn't realize that it's possible that someone's not going to make it you know uh from the team it's possible you know you go out on a mission well someone might not make it back i don't know you know
1: i think in every and having been you know with my military background which wasn't like extensive in any kind of these situations but you just kind of all have that um what's the word uh You're not, not going to get hurt. Invis- you you kind of have this sense of invincibility. You just never assume anyone's going to get hurt. Right. Okay. You know it's possible, but nobody ever wants to acknowledge it. You all live in this sort of self-delusion. That, and maybe it's good because you don't want everybody running around saying, what if it's me that buys it this That's time? Right. You want people who are like, no, no, I'm going to make it all the way through. Correct. Right.
0: No, I, no, I understand that. But it's just, no, it's just his all man is what, what throws me off here. You know, it sounds very unprofessional. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. True. <laughs> that That's what it is. <laughs> and, and then Miller continues by going into the church, and Baker goes with him. And then we, we see uh, blueprints. And then we see a whole bunch of different uh, mathematics, like a slide rule, and, and basically a protractor. You know, that's what it looks like.
1: Mm-hmm
0: um you know which a protractor for anyone who doesn't remember geometry you know i i i had one class, one one course of geometry in 10th grade and that was it that was enough for me but uh you know i remember that that used that to measure angles how do you measure them that i couldn't tell you you know i'm sure (laughs) and and that is why i never did anything that has anything to do with mathematics in my life (laughs) you
1: know that's so funny because uh i do a lot of construction and learning how to use a speed square is basically a protractor for construction okay and he's got a compass too
0: that's right and it's not the compass i remember we used to have compasses where you have to like screw in the pencil on one side (laughs) right you know yep um so so and and it's also really cool if you look at the blueprints so (laughs) he has something that that's circled and it says not used (laughs) in red you know this is the place where they don't use it (laughs) and he's he's measuring distances again it's it's busy work you know he's he's making it they're making it look as if he's he's doing something that that makes sense but it probably makes absolutely no sense since he's already has his plan in effect and he i don't think he really needs to to measure the distance on the runway unless he unless the idea is he wants to know you know at what where how far away can does, can the plane stop in order for them to get there first? That that would be my only guess as to why they would need something like that. Hmm.
1: That's interesting because yeah, if that is the runway, which you'd have to guess that based on where we are. Um The only other thing I always thought he was looking to measure well, how far are the trunk lines away from the runway? But
0: who knows okay it could be also again it's it's anyone's guess because it doesn't really make sense that he's doing it so it doesn't really make a difference so it got me thinking about blueprints all right yes (laughs) did it it (laughs) so uh do do you know uh when the idea of blueprints were were actually introduced when people started using what we all call these days blueprints it's gotta be in the
1: early 1900s. Very good,
0: very good. So a blueprint is a reproduction of a technical drawing or an engineering drawing that uses a contact print process on light sensitive sheets. And it was first introduced in 1842 by a man named uh, Sir John Herschel, uh, who wanted to try and find a way to make rapid and accurate production uh, of something with an unlimited number of copies. Because the idea here is, is that you know that you, you have white lines on a blue background, which is the negative of the original, and it just makes things much easier to, to make copies of. And you know and you still get an idea of what you're looking at, you know that type of thing. The term blueprint is used for, for many different things, not just what uh, you know what it was originally uh, designed for because they use it for you know if you can refer to any like floor plan, or actually any type of plan that you have of something. So, mm-hmm. you know, plan of an airport, you know, would be, would be a blueprint also.
1: But can't you also use that term synonymously for having a plan? Like, we're gonna have a repeatable plan. What's your blueprint to Correct. get us out of this? Mm-hmm. You know, what's your blueprint to, uh, to get, our, to get our, our goods to market faster?
0: That's right. Okay, that's fair. Um, it, it's, a blueprint could also be known as a drawing or a print or a plan. You know, I mean, I knew all about, uh, you know, uh, architecture, this type of stuff, you know, from, from the Brady Bunch, you know, because you, you always had blueprints, <laughs> you know, in Mike's office. And, uh, you know, and then you have the
1: He was always at his drafting
0: that's right, table. That's right. And then you have, you know, the, the famous episode where they were in Cincinnati at, at Kings Island. The, they had the blueprints, you know, in the, the cylinder. I don't even know what it was called. that got, got mixed up with Jan's poster. Of I think Yogi Bear or something like that, and they all had to run across the park to get it to to Mike in time. You don't remember that episode? That's one of my favorite episodes of the Brady Bunch. No, I remember. No, I remember.
1: I remember. I'm nodding oh, my okay. head. I know the audience doesn't I see know. it, but yeah, I do. I, I do remember
0: that. <laughs> I actually rewatched it. I think last summer it was. Uh, you know, I rewatched the three Brady Bunch trips. You know, you have the first trip where they went to the Grand Canyon. You know, Bobby, Cindy. Mm-hmm. You know, the second one was was when they were in Hawaii. With the uh, you know with the with the voodoo idol or the the tabooed idol, and then the third one was when they went to Cincinnati, which I was really upset that it was just one episode. But the the one piece of trivia that I remember from that episode is that everyone the park had just opened when they when they filmed it, and it was you know it was owned by the same company, and that's why they did it to you know they did to advertise for themselves. And they said that 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 uh, the people who were really at the park got really pissed off because they kept letting all the actors cut in line in order to get the shots. You know, they'd be like, you know, someone could be waiting an hour to get on the roller coaster, and they're like, Oh, wait a second. You have to wait now because we have to do three times now uh, to film, you know, to to film the cast of the Brady Bunch. So blueprints are are not used that much today uh, because, you know, Mm -hmm. it's been replaced by digital computer uh, construction drawings and stuff like that. So, you know, we, we, we have our, our, good friend uh, you know Colonel Stewart who who's looking at the blueprints and then he looks over at Miller and he says to he, he says to him uh, you're late And he goes we ran into trouble Colonel some cop he killed Cochrane and you know Stewart does not look pleased at this at all no, no, no. not at all and uh, no he's a plan. No, sorry. and we're gonna have to wait until tomorrow to actually find out you know, how he's going to react to this. But the thing I found really, really cool is, is is that right as Miller shows up to Stewart, you see, like, some snowflakes fall on the blueprints. And, you know, maybe that's what pissed uh, Stewart off. You know, you, you just put snowflakes on my, you know, your snowflakes are on my blueprints. Your blueprints are on my snowflakes.
1: Well, I was going to ask you because um, I saw that nice little detail. And are we supposed to suspect that the church is dilapidated enough that some of the snow was actually coming in, or are we supposed to say that that that, that fresh snow falls off of our our
0: our, our, our it comes up it comes off of our uh, I believe it comes baguette. off of Miller's uh, jacket. Maybe he like you know shook it off his said, jacket. <laughs> how could how could I piss off it the colonel? Like snow that would be <laughs> falling from the how sky? can I piss off the colonel? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know.
1: You brought snow onto my blueprint.
0: Yes. <laughs> that's right. Um, and that that's pretty much everything I have for, for, for this minute. You have anything else for the minute before we get into the script?
1: No, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to seeing how this plays out tomorrow and wraps up uh, at least yeah. my
0: week. That's right. We're going to have to wait and see about that. So basically the, the, the script is, is pretty much uh, the same as what we have uh, in the movie itself. Uh, I love how it says here that uh, you know, airport police and cor- the coroners people are about to make off with with the body on the gurney, and the media now drooling over their new story drops right dropped right into their laps. You know, meaning that uh, you know the, these reporters were there for Esperanza, and now they're dealing with somebody who's you know th- now there's a death on camera, and the dialogue between the uh, plane and, and the cop is exactly the same, and. When, uh, you know, Baker and and Miller, same thing pretty much happens. It says, Con and Burke are the guys digging in the yard with pickaxes. And then it says, uh, Stewart's pouring over maps of the airport. He looks up, nonplussed, wipes away snow that falls from Miller's shoulder to the tabletop. And then he says, you're late. He goes, we ran into trouble. A policeman, he killed Cochran. So, you know, even the script confirms the fact that it was Miller who brushed the snow off of his jacket in order to piss off the colonel. All right. right. So every Thursday we we have a segment called Aviation Thursday, where my guests will give their top five uh, movies that are dealing with uh, aviation, whether it could be in the airport, airplane, uh, somewhere in the sky, space, wherever. Uh, So Alan, what do you got for us?
1: All right. Well, we got to start at number five. Yes, we do. And because of how goofy it is and because they were based off of supposed real airline disasters, but they were the Zucker brothers bringing us airplane. Got to put airplane in, in the top five.
0: Yes. I agree with you on that.
1: For that very reason, my number four, which I remember watching all of them and I can't remember what my first
0: one was, if it was airport 76, but I remember. No, there's 77. There's 75 and 77.
1: 35 Okay, then it must I the difference. Um, it must have been airport seventy-five that I saw. And then I remember when airport seventy seven, I was like, oh, there's another one. And then they had one with the Concorde. Was that 77? Right, that was, was that 79.
0: The- no, that or was 79. Concord was 79. Concord was 79. 77 was when the, the plane was in the ocean. And seventy-five right. is the one where a a small plane hits the the cockpit of of the, you know. Of the so I've
1: seen them all, but I think I saw them in order as they were released, mi- uh, edited for television, didn't see them in the theater, so Airport 75.
0: Okay. I actually just rewatched that earlier this week, so yes. <laughs> that, was, that was a fun one.
1: The next one, and I know you're supposed to go with the classics, but I did not mind the remake. I, li- I like Dennis Quaid a lot. Flight of the Phoenix. Okay. Yes. I-, I think the Jimmy Stewart one's great. I love how the modern one... Still kept with the same storyline, the same twist. But I, I, the, the updated one was really, really well done. So Flight of the Phoenix.
0: Yeah, that's something I, I've been meaning to rewatch. I actually was mean, I wanted to rewatch both of them at some point because they're, they're both pretty good. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, number two, I know this is cheesy. I know it is, but it is such a fun movie to watch. Con Air, number two.
0: All right, Jane Mark will be very happy to hear that.
1: <laughs> and, Jane and Mark of, uh, the, of the, the Con Airman. <laughs> and the last one, uh, because I'm a, a, a pretty big Tom Hanks fan, and I wanted something a little bit more serious, because um, I really could have gone with Top Gun 2, because that was such an amazing thrill ride in the theater. Obviously, Top Gun is a big one that you would go to, but in terms of just a great movie, well done, uh, Bob Zemeckis directing, got to go, excuse me, uh, Clint Eastwood directing, gotta go with sully
0: oh wow interesting when when you said bob zemeckis i thought you were going to talk about the terminal you
1: know <laughs> no and then he also he also did the uh um castaway which obviously only yes. has a moment on a plane but it was pretty damn gripping the yes. way he captured a plane going down from the perspective of being inside of it
0: yes 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 that was that was definitely great completely agree so i wanted
1: that. to give a mix I wanted to give a mix from, you know, goofy to serious to based on true true incidents. So there you go. There's my list of movies.
0: Perfect. That is great. All right, Alan, so you want to uh, once again tell people uh, where they can find uh, Alan Sanders?
1: Sure. If you want to find the, uh, the cultural movie podcast uh, that we call The Wilder Ride, we did a Gene Wilder throwback to movies uh, for seasons one and two. It was Young Frankenstein followed by Blazing Saddles, one minute of the film at a time. Just visit thewilderide.com, look up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram under The Wilderide.
0: And if you're just searching for
1: the podcast, just search for The Wilderide. You'll find it.
0: All right, great. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe to any podcast you might be using to listen to the show. Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. Or you can find me on my website, MovieRobMinute.com. So, Alan, you, you, you want to come back again tomorrow to finish off the week?
1: Got to wrap up. Can't you? Got I, I? gotta figure out how this. Uh, how how this uh, conversation plays out in the church.
0: Well, the, the the damage is minimal, but the penalty could be severe. Ooh,
1: see, that's, <laughs> uh, so I gotta be back. I will. I will be back. <laughs> All I'll right. be back.
0: I'll be back. All right, great. So until tomorrow, yippee ki yay! Yippee If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little villages here and